Welcome to After the JAG Corps, Navigating Your Career Progression, a podcast for judge advocates leaving military service. After the JAG Corps assists officers transitioning from the military law practice by learning from individuals who have successfully embarked on new careers, providing insight on rewarding professional opportunities, job search strategies, resumes, the value of your military experience, and more. Now, here is your host, Tom Welsh. Today on the podcast, we are talking to U.S. Army veteran and currently reservist Faisal Actor, who is joining us from Washington State. And so, Faisal, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Tom. Thanks for having me. I appreciate what you're doing with this podcast. I remember when it first popped up on my feed, I was like, this guy's doing something interesting, useful, and, and something we should have done a long time ago. So thanks for taking up the mantle and really contributing a lot of value to our profession. Well, I appreciate that feedback I get from people is what makes it all worthwhile. It really does. So Faisal, you spent about, what, five years, or excuse me, about eight years on active duty in the Army. So tell us kind of your uh, thumbnail of your bio here. Yeah, real quick, is that I joined the the Army um, in about 2012. First duty assignment was in Stuttgart, Germany. So let me tell you, when I got my orders, it said Stuttgart. I was like, the Porsche place? Uh, (laughs) Which is a great, great assignment there. I had great leadership, lots of great opportunities. After that, I was in Korea for a couple of years, got to do a lot of military justice, great place. And then I finished it up with a couple of assignments at Fort Bragg, North Carolina, and got to really experience that real true Army experience. And it was one of the best jobs I'll ever have in my entire life. And as I look at your uh, LinkedIn profile, you did a little bit of everything. So in Germany, they threw you right into compliance, ethics, labor and employment, and you were working with international and interagency community. Then you became a trial counsel in Korea. And then you became the deputy brigade judge advocate for the 82nd Airborne. So they had you doing pretty much everything while you were on active duty, didn't they? Yeah, they did. You know, looking back, um, I remember asking for my assignments. I never quite got Hawaii, right? I never quite panned out. But just looking back, what a, what a tremendous experience I had. And every time I get to talk about my military experience, just great. And it's, you know, part of what you see there is the experience. But another part you don't see are like the absolute fantastic leadership that I had. I had great leaders that I got to learn a lot from. And they really taught me not just about uh, what it means to be a lawyer, but also like be a great officer in the United States military and just a tremendous learning experience and everything I've been able to accomplish. I really attribute a lot of that to them. You made the decision 2018 or 2020. Well, when did you decide to get out? I think that decision happened approximately around like 2018-ish or so. My wife, Veronica, and I, we had our first child. And I think at that point, that was the realization of like, hey, how long are we going to do this? And what do we want to do? And let's think of a lot longer term. Because once you hit the 03 to 04 board, I think that's a great time to really start thinking about, is this going to be the career that we take uh, for the next 10 plus years? Or is this time we take a step off and think, consider something else? So you made that decision. When did you start looking in earnest for employment on the outside? And what did you think you wanted to do or what were you seeking to do when you started that process? Yeah, I'd say I probably thought about that around like 2018, 19 or so. And it's a process, right? And so, you know, for anyone listening to this podcast and saying like, hey, this guy, how'd he do it, right? Like I would say, don't expect to just hit a button and then you're automatically somewhere else. I think it's important to look at this as a process. It's making sure you're making the right decision for you and your family making sure you're leaving for the right reasons. You're not running from something, you're running to something. And uh, really testing the waters when it comes to like doing exactly what maybe some people here are doing, listening, hearing other people's stories, talking to people they know they got out, what that looks like, and really thinking about it in a very holistic way. Because 
you know, if you're anything like me, you'll leave the military, at least active duty. And uh, if you think like the grass is going to be 100% greener, maybe not. And I don't mean that in a bad way, but there's something really special about being in the United States military. And it's something that I never quite put my finger on, but it's something I've treasured, valued, and those experiences, I mean, I don't think you can replicate them anywhere else. And I, I really do value. And so you start looking. Did you cast a broad net? Did you cast a small net, a targeted net? What was your job search like? Yeah, I thought of a couple things. You know, before I went to law school, I was always into the tech industry. You know, I self-taught myself a bunch of stuff on the computers. I, I grew up on the internet before it was actually super popular and, you know, kind of dangerous to be on the internet. And I, back then it was great. Everybody had a great time. So I remember being like 10 years old and just poking around the internet before anybody really knew what it was. And, and it's something I've always loved. So for me, I really wanted to end up at a tech company. That was my primary driving factor. It was either that or somewhere in, let's say, like DOJ, AUSA, that sort of work, you know, ultimately ended up getting this position here at Microsoft after a callback interview with the DOJ. Really, I just left that interview and I got the offer from Microsoft and I thought, okay, like, great. This is where I want to be. This is what I want to do. Let's make that decision. And I, I'll never forget that day. It was really important to me. That's kind of what I did. And happy to be here. What was the position that you applied for or what in your profile was that skill set or that specialty or that area of the law that you had worked in that was attractive to them or that matched up with what you were doing or didn't match up with what they wanted you for? Yeah. So what I do at Microsoft right now, I lead a team of attorneys. Uh, we work on our internal investigations here. So I think any judge advocate probably has that experience. But what I will say is that when it comes to receiving a position on the outside, timing is just as important as your resume, honestly, because these companies, they grow, they get headcounts, maybe somebody leaves. At the time I was applying, the team that I'm currently on was, was growing. So there are a number of open positions, right? And so maybe one day they were like, hmm, it's army guy. We don't know about him, right? But because there are a number of openings, I think they were willing to take a chance. And I got an interview. I think I did all right and uh, was able to fortunately receive an offer. And I'm still on that team. I moved up from being an individual contributor, so not in charge of a team. And then a few months ago, I moved over to leading the team of attorneys on the team. So it's, it's been great. Really awesome team, great leadership, super happy to be at Microsoft, and they're incredibly supportive of military reservists as well. So you're doing investigations. Can you give us a little bit of granularity? I'm not looking for Microsoft secrets or Microsoft attorney-client stuff, but what kind of matters in the investigation realm are you dealing with? Are we talking misbehavior? Are we talking possible SEC violations? Are we talking something in between? In the military, you don't know what you don't know. And I think the investigations realm is something that we do a fair amount of. So I'm interested to learn a little bit more about being in investigations at a corporation outside the military. Yeah. I'll answer this question very broadly to people who are listening here, just to kind of educate you what type of investigations exist at Microsoft. There are a number of investigations team that we have. And so we have financial investigations, right? We have corporate compliance investigations. So for example, Foreign Corrupt Practices Act. We have my team, which is the workplace investigations team, which handles allegations as it relates to like discrimination, harassment based on protected characteristics. We have a national security team and they deal with those types of investigations. We have a digital crimes unit and they deal with those types of investigations. And so there are a number of investigations team within just Microsoft alone. And this sort of team dynamic and opportunities exist throughout the tech sector. You won't just find an investigations team blank, right? It is a number of investigations team. And as you 
think about if you're at all interested in doing investigations at these companies, there's lots of those. And I think any judge advocate who's been doing it for a while, you can probably find success on any one of these teams. Just me knowing what we deal with, you don't might not necessarily have, let's say, Foreign Corrupt Practices Act type of specific experience, but you can talk lots about what a great investigation looks like and be able to learn what those laws are immediately contribute to those teams. And so I'd encourage anyone who's interested in getting in the space to think about investigations more broadly, take a look at the openings that pop up and think about how to tailor your resume to specific positions within these companies. Yeah. So you hit upon it. I was going to ask, does, did your experience with AR-15s, JAGMENs in the Navy, you knew what a good investigation looked like. You've touched them. You probably have did some in the military. You probably reviewed some. You probably used them. So you got to see them, I imagine, from all different angles in the military. And now you're in this position as an advisory counsel or investigations counsel with, with Microsoft. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right, Tom. And, and you think about probably lots of people in, in the Judge Advocate General's Court. You've also done litigation when it comes to these investigations. And so you can think about Think to nuts. You've done like receiving these, working with the command to actually investigate them. And then you've been on the receiving end to see like, hey, what actually happens to these investigations when they go forward? You've probably worked with law enforcement officers. Maybe you've worked on the opposite side of that. And so when I think about a great investigation, it's not necessarily one path or role. Like the number of experiences we have really give someone a foundation and a holistic understanding of what makes a great investigation that I'd be highly confident having that sort of significant experience you can learn what specifically happens within these companies that we look into, but the actual skills that you've learned throughout your entire military career can easily come over here. And the team that you're leading, is it a young team? Is it fresh out of law school people? Or is it a mix of people that have been in and out of, I don't know, Department of Justice or U.S. attorney positions or law firms? Is it a mixed bag or is it sort of a homogenous group? So I'd say it's a mixed group. Five attorneys are the team I lead. I think my broader team, and it's a global team, maybe about 15 or so people. And I, I tend to think about the great thing about being at Microsoft is that we don't necessarily look for, hey, this is the type of resume. We want you to come from X law firm and do Y things. What we really want is like great people who are culture ads, right? Like when you think about making up a team. It's not necessarily everybody with the exact same resume. You want a team with diverse backgrounds to be able to contribute because that's what makes a team. You don't just have um, one type of resume. And then when you think about it, standing up a team like that, it's just much harder. You've got different people who are great at different things and can view things in very different ways. That's what really makes an excellent team. I mean, I'd say for the people on our teams, they come from a variety of backgrounds, government, law firm, military, right? And so lots and lots of experiences. I mean, I really do appreciate that. The other day I had someone on my team who has a law firm background. I was just asking a little bit about like, tell me more about like what this thing means at a law firm. And, and really, you know, I wouldn't otherwise have that if we had everybody with the same background and resume. I really do appreciate how we tend to look at teams at Microsoft. Is your experience at Microsoft sort of like an SJA experience that you're right there with the client? Are you interacting with the leadership or the shop employees at all levels every day or regularly, I guess I should ask? Yeah. You know, for us, how we tend to do investigations is that we try to just operate as like a siloed unit because, you know, a lot of these investigations can be deeply personal. And so we don't want to have like a connection to the business. I mean, employees won't feel fairly treated. I mean, I think if you're hooked in too much, but certainly we do work with the business when it comes to like advising them. Here's our findings. You know, you weren't at all involved in helping us develop these but 
just so you know, like we've made our findings and here's how you, you can think about it and get a great understanding of the investigation. So, you know, when those decision makers have to make the decisions that they can feel confident that the right thing was done, just like how we would do in the military. When you, you do an investigation, you brief the commander, he or she can certainly add, delete, remove findings, whatever, adopt them. And that's tend to how they work here. But I would say just like in the military, no one really tends to delete findings. It may take some work to, to convince some of them of, of your findings, but really, truly, I think you know, at the end of the day, just like in the military, people are trying to do the right thing. They just want to be sure that they are doing the right thing. So I want to back up a little bit. You already sort of alluded to the fact that you were pursuing opportunities in parallel. You, you said you had come out of a follow-up interview with DOJ and you got this offer from Microsoft. How much lead time did you give yourself to look for work? And I and maybe another way to ask this, from the time you submitted that application at Microsoft until you got the job, how long of a process was that? I'd say it took at least a couple of months. One of the things that I did before I got out and transitioned out of active duty is I wanted an offer in hand before I submitted my resignation. And I think that's not common. I think a lot of people submit their resignation and then they look for a job. And I think that totally makes sense. That, that also requires a lot of risk that I wasn't willing to assume. And so when I was interviewing with places, I would say, hey, just so you know, I haven't submitted my resignation yet. I expect the timeline to look like this. Are you open to that? And so for me, Microsoft, I think waited maybe like four months or so for me, which is tremendous. And it really speaks to the value of, of this company and their commitment to hiring veterans. And then my advice to people who are listening to this is, if you do decide to take the route that I took, just be upfront with your timeline because there are teams that would say, yeah, we can see a need in X amount of months. You know, this one may not be the one for you today, but we can see this need going forward and then we can project that out. And so be upfront about it. And there are other opportunities that feel like, no, we need to fill this today. Unfortunately, maybe that won't be for you, but there are a number of different places and some places might be like, okay, we'll wait for you. I think just nailing down your timeline, thinking about what that could look like and just planning, super important. In the view that you were trying to get a soft landing, once you got this offer, how long did it take you to be released from active duty in the Army? Was it six months? Was it eight months? I know you probably had leave, but how painful was the Army process of getting out? Oh, so painful. <laughs> it was painful. When they told me six months, I was like, okay, yeah, six months, really? And they really held me to that. I don't know whether it was because I was going into the reserves directly from active duty as opposed to just like getting out totally, but they really made me wait that entire six months. And I remember having those conversations with Microsoft after I got the offer and they're like, okay, like, are you good? I was like, well, I'm good. But like I said, it's, they're really going to hold me those, those that time frame. And so uh, they definitely did. I think I took maybe a, a couple of weeks between jobs and then I uh, moved myself out from Fort Bragg, North Carolina to Seattle, Washington. Let me tell you, it's it a far better move than I've ever had in the military. So it's good. <laughs> what was the interview process like? The questions, you know, we go through these training programs. What's your strength? What's your weakness? What's your greatest accomplishment? Was it sort of like that with Microsoft or was it more conversational? Yeah, let, let me take a step back and explain just kind of how these tech companies hire. There's a couple of steps in this process. And I think it's important for everyone listening to, to just get a sense of this. So you have an idea of what's going on in the background and what happens when you actually click submit application. There's a different number of components when it comes to hiring. There's there's something called like a sourcer. And so what the sourcer does is identify great candidates who they think may meet the role. The sourcer then takes those candidates and brings them to the recruiter. And the recruiter is in, in ties with the business, right? So the hiring manager, the hiring manager talks to the recruiter, says, I'm looking for this, this, and this. And the recruiter spends a day like talking to the candidates, talking to the business, but it's that source who really takes like those applications, those people potentially to the recruiter. Once the recruiter says like, hey, this, this resume looks interesting. This looks like somebody who aligns with what the business told me that they needed. 
Um, the recruiter may set up a phone call with you to just say, hey, like, looks great. Like, talk to me more about your role, your resume, your experiences. And they will take that information that they know from the hiring managers, kind of see like, does this make sense for this person to move on to the next step? And then once, let's say you're like, okay, like this seems like a great candidate. They will talk with the business, the hiring manager on, here are the people that I spoke with. Here are the resumes. They seem like they'd be great fits. Would you be willing to advance them? And so what happens next if you advance is that you will be set up on a call with the hiring manager. This is probably going to be your boss. You have that conversation. If that person's like, hmm, I can see this person fitting out here or being a culture ad here, really doing the job great, they will then put you on an interview loop. And this interview loop consists of who knows how many people it could be, but it tends to be at least more than a couple. And what happens there is that you interview with these people and they make a recommendation to the hiring manager as to whether you'd be good for the role. With that information, then the hiring manager takes all that, they have conversations and they say, okay, like let's make an offer to this person. And they go back to the recruiter, the recruiter talks to you and makes that offer and gets a sense and then the negotiation starts. So that's generally my understanding of how it works, at at least at these tech companies. And it's pretty fairly standard like in that sort of format when it comes to tech companies. Negotiations, what were they like? Did you get pegged to give the number first or was it more collegial there? Because, you know, military, you get a set package, you know what you're getting. You don't have to worry about negotiating health care or days of leave. It's all a set package. Give us sort of a sense of the negotiation process that you went through. Yeah. You know, this is something where I think we are disadvantaged. And Tom, you're really helping bridge this gap here because in the middle of it, you're like, okay, like, oh, three, two years of pay. Okay. Like, what am I going to do? I was like, no, listen, I'm great. You need to give me at least oh, four. It doesn't work like that. Right. And so, you know, at the end of the day, exactly what you're getting. And, and when it comes to these companies, you don't necessarily know. And I think there's been a lot of great work of saying like, here's what you can expect for the salary rate. And I, I'd say like, talk to people. What does that actually look like? Because you probably don't know. And I think at least at Microsoft, we're, we're doing a better job of saying this is what like is the general range and expectations. There may be reasons for you to be bumped up on the higher end, but at least we're not going to try to absolutely lowball you because we want, we want you to be happy. And that's super important. You know, you're at these companies, you want to feel valued. And at the end of the day, you find out like, oh, like I didn't get a great offer. Like that's not going to make you feel great. And so I'd say the company generally has an understanding about like what's a fair offer and they're not trying to cheat you out of it. That said, of course, get the information from people who are here and get a good sense of that as well, because those data points are super important, super valuable. And um, I can say at least for these tech companies, compensation is not just your base salary, right? There is a bonus every year. There are stocks that you get. And there's lots of latitude for when it comes to negotiating those sort of things that you should at least be aware of. You know, one other guy said, don't be shy. Yeah. So did you have a pretty good sense of all the possible things or some of the things that would be in play for negotiations, such as stock or matching or days off or relocation assistance, those kinds of things? I did. Um, There is a website. It's called Blind. I think it's like blindapp.com or something like that. Basically, it's a network primarily of people in the tech industry. And they they go up there and they post their offers. And it is eye-opening to see... Um, what people are being offered, how it's being offered, what types. And it's not just like within your company, you can see what's going on in other companies as well. And that that sort of like information tends to mitigate this like asymmetrical information advantage that these companies tend to have. And so to have that super valuable, super helpful, and really gets you understanding to know that you can totally negotiate certain things. And am I being totally out of the water? Okay, but at least you'll have data points here to take a look into. Two-part question. What does Faisal Actor's day look like today or any day that he's working there? And how does it differ from your time in the Army? Definitely work a lot less than I did in the Army, for sure. 100%. 
I don't think that's something that you know we hear about people at law firms working a lot of hours. If you're you're in the judge advocate general, there are great assignments where you do take a knee for sure, but there are assignments where you're like gone <laughs> for weeks on end. It's you know people talk about like oh I got to have to sleep in my office because I've got these sort of issues going on with my law firm. Okay. Great. Imagine just sleeping in the dirt for like three weeks straight, right? And you can't even talk to your family because there's no service out there. And that is totally a legitimate thing. So, you know, I come here and it's great. Like some days can be pretty busy, but some days also not. And I think I really do appreciate that. And so to your question, I tend to wake up pretty early. I still exercise every morning. That's super important to me. And I, for people getting out, I'd say, if that's something you only did in the military, I'd say, try to keep it up if you can. It really does help, at least for me. Answer emails, try to take in things as they come. And really make myself available to my team. That's the thing I tend to prioritize. You know, any leader knows your schedule is dictated by the people with whom you lead, so you can support them. And I think that's how I tend to look at things. I try to close up shop before eighteen hundred, and I generally don't work on the weekends. But sometimes when the work demands it, I do. I can remember the first time I took on this job and just moved into the manager role. Decisions when it came to like evaluations, and then with like a bonus season, and I was new to being a manager, and I was still like cleaning up my old cases. Getting new cases, that was rough. But, uh, you know, the passes, you get used to your job. Things have been a lot more stable since then. Are you in the office, working at home, or a mixture of both? I try to do a mixture of both. We have the opportunity here at Microsoft. You want to be in the office a couple of days a week, 50% or less of the time. You don't need any manager approval, or sorry, 50% or more. And so you just go up and be, be home on your own schedule, how you do things. Um, if you want to work more remotely, put in a submission and request that answer. And so for me, I, I try to work from home on Mondays and Fridays. And then like Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursdays, I go into the office, get to see people, try to be intentional, catch lunches with people. I mean, that's the value. If you're, you're in your office and you're just like taking calls all day, like not really that valuable. And so we do have the flexibility for lots of things. For me, like in the VA, like scheduled me for an appointment in the middle of the day on a Wednesday. I was like, oh, okay. So, you know, that's the day I'm going to work that Wednesday remotely. A lot less meetings? More meetings. Uh, they don't end. Funny, like everybody's like, I don't like meetings, but somehow, we still have lots of meetings. And I'd say they tend to increase as you get into leadership positions within the company because you're not just handling your own vertical, but you're working horizontally across the company. And you want to make sure that you know what your different stakeholders are doing. And so the meetings do ramp up significantly, but I do appreciate their need for existence. Any travel involved? Are you mostly bound to one place? Yeah. So we are generally bound to the Redmond, Seattle, Pacific Northwest area, at least for, for my role. There are a number of hubs. And you know, if you're in DC, like DC is probably the second biggest spot for Microsoft. And so that, that exists. There is no necessarily travel required for my role. And I'd say for most of the legal counsel with whom I speak with at Microsoft, travel is not a significant part of your job. I'd say if you're doing something like leading an international team, you're probably going to be expected to. And when I say leading an international team, I mean, hey, I'm leading this country's legal department. Probably going to have to make some trips once in a while to Redmond, the headquarters, just like you would any other place. You're at a subordinate unit and you check in with your higher command. Just tends to happen like that just the same way. Back to one question about remote. Was that always the policy? Because I see you join Microsoft about three months before the pandemic took off. Yeah, Tom, it was enough time to opt for the gym membership. And let me tell you, like that was a terrible decision. I should have taken the reimbursement for exercise equipment. People did work from home, let's say like one day a week or like, hey, my kid's sick. Like, I think it's easier to work from home. That was tend to be like a thing, but it's just definitely not as normalized as it is now where we have formal policy in place saying like, I'm going to work Mondays and Fridays from home. I don't really need my boss to give me approval to it. I just make sure they're good with it. Of course, just like you would anywhere else. And then that's it. And so it's really been great to have that sort of flexibility recognized and formalized and, and let people really do their very best work. 
Is there anything you know now that you wish you knew before when you started looking for this that you would have approached things differently? Or are you pretty satisfied with how things turned out? You know, for me, I'm really fortunate where I am. No reconsiderations on that. What I will say, and and this is something as people continue their job search, or you're listening to this and saying like, how do I get to where that guy is? I'd say like, feel free to like cold email people and just like straight up send them cold messages on LinkedIn. You see somebody who's like a judge advocate and they're working at wherever you want to be at, send them a LinkedIn message cold. And there's, there's no harm in doing that, right? And the great thing about when you transition out is like LinkedIn, I think gives veterans like a year of that premium subscription. It's like message them. And if you see somebody in my network, like you see on LinkedIn, Fazalak, and he knows this person over there, like ask me and say like, can you put in a word for that? I think that's a really valuable thing because at least for me, I didn't know anybody at Microsoft when I got here. And it would have really helped to just get a sense of like, what are you looking for? What are you doing? What considerations are there? And I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, Tom, like you're doing a great thing here because we are very close when we work together in the service. But then when we leave, like other than the people you probably kept up with regularly while you were in the service, you might not keep up with. And we need to do a better job of that because I will for sure, like you send me, someone sends me a message on LinkedIn, you know, I'll try to answer it. I don't think I've ignored any of them right now. I don't know what the reach of your podcast is now, Tom. If I get like 500 messages tomorrow, I'm sorry. That's not scalable. Listen to this podcast. That's what Tom's trying to do, right? But, you know, for sure, I think one important thing is like reach out. If you get ignored, hey, that's on them. That's not on you, right? Who knows why? They may be super busy. They may have forgotten, whatever it is, but feel free to like leverage all of us. Yeah. And I have to say, Faisal, I saw you pop up and I can't even remember whether it was suggested or someone else's network. And I just saw that you were at Microsoft and I, and I was like, oh, see, senior corporate counsel. I'm going to hit this guy. And you came back to me right away. And I have to say that a company that I've been flirting with, I did the same thing that you said. I sent emails to some former judge advocates, different services. I think I've hit each one. I hit a former general counsel from this one of the services who put me in touch with another guy who was retired Air Force. And they just have, you know, just talked to them about the work-life balance, about negotiating, all those things. And you're right. I think especially those in the military will give you that time to answer your questions. And I think it's something that I'm finding is ingrained and you really don't have a reason to be shy. And And separately from that, I've actually had an informational interview with somebody that never spent a day in a service with a corporation, and he gave me a half hour. I only asked for a half hour. I asked him questions. I didn't ask him for a job, but sort of get an idea of what is out there. So I think what you're saying is spot on. For sure. And we talk about, hey, make sure your resume is really great. And so it's amenable to these companies and they can understand, right? That's 100% important. It's the truth. I remember my first resume draft, I basically copied my RMP evaluations onto my resume. Doesn't work. And so, you know, I remember not getting any calls and then I eventually figured it out. And then from that point, I had to like turn down interviews. It kept coming, right? And so one of, one of the important things that I want to share with this is I get to lead our legal department's veterans organization within Microsoft. We can talk about like, hey, veterans, you need to do a better job. What really is important is it's a two-way street. Veterans provide tremendous skills and experience to companies that, that maybe are overlooked. And so what I've done at Microsoft is create something where it's not just on the veteran to translate the resume. It's up to us as a company. If, if we really say we value these sort of things, let's do it. And so I created like a translation guide for our recruiting team, for our hiring managers at Microsoft to say, here's what a great army career looks like. Here's what is a brigade judge advocate. They might not know how to translate that to, let's say, product counsel. But you, Microsoft, we can do a better job of that. And I'd say the company has been so receptive to that. People have asked me about it within a company who have no judge advocate connections. And they really 
do a great job of being open and thoughtful about what makes a great candidate. And I really do appreciate that. And so those type of opportunities for people who are in these companies, you know, those opportunities exist when your companies, no one told me to do it. I just went and did it and they were receptive to it. So don't stop with your initiative to continue helping the people behind you because we're all in this together. And every day we should think about like who's behind us. Who's in front of us? Who can we help? Super important. Sounds like you applied for a specific position that was advertised. Is that the process? You go to a Microsoft uh, careers page and throw it in there and it goes through the system? Or is there a separate route for veterans to apply for Microsoft? At Microsoft as a whole, generally, there is specific routes to apply for certain positions, particularly if you're cleared, there's like a cleared talent pool. Now, when it comes to the legal department, that doesn't quite exist. Generally, if you're you're looking for a, a legal position within our company, go ahead and apply through the website. Email me on LinkedIn. Be like, Faisal, I applied to this role. Here's why I think I'm graded for it. And let's talk. Of course, I can't do that for 500 people, right? But what I can say, if you really think you're great for the role, like, let me tell you no, right? Like, don't, don't be afraid to like put yourself out there and, and do it because I'm super happy to help people. And there's lots of people, I think, listening to this. You just shoot me a message on LinkedIn. And I've, I've responded to them, right? I don't know you, but what I do know is that you did get to serve in, in the military. And for, for that, I really have a tremendous appreciation for you. And so we're all in it together. Faisal, concluding thoughts, if you have any. Take care of each other. This is a profession in which we are all a part of. It doesn't matter, Army, Navy, whatever, right? It's super important to know that people you're with and you're serving with will continue to serve with maybe outside of uniform, right? And these sort of things. And this is important for us to stick together because all these other people, they come from different law firms and backgrounds. They stick together. And we need to, to do a great job doing that as well and helping great people who we know. Let's continue to do that. And thanks so much, Tom, for really spearheading a tremendous effort and really a much, fill a much needed space for us. Well, Faisal, thank you for your time. Thank you for all the information you gave. I mean, this is the trouble with this. I get in a conversation with somebody like you that I've never met before, and I look over and it's already 30 minutes and, and it's done. And it's amazing how much ground we cover in such a short period of time. None of it rehearsed. Uh, maybe we'll look forward to the three-hour versions that are sponsored by so-and-so companies, right? I, I look forward to that. Thank you for listening. If you like this podcast, be sure to subscribe and tell your friends. After the Jag Corps is a TJW 50 Associates LLC production. 